The Destiny Foundation is proud to present this special lecture by Rabbi Beryl Wine. We hope you enjoy. It's interesting in life that uh, you never know what influence you have on others, and uh, I think that that is one of the most rewarding aspects of uh, being a Rav or being a teacher or being a parent is that we underestimate ourselves. Uh, the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said uh, that it is worthwhile for a Jew to travel half the world to come to a small synagogue between Mincha and Mairev and uh, say a few words of Torah so that one Jew will then uh, pray the evening service with more fervor, even if the one Jew is the speaker himself. I haven't Davin Marv yet, uh, so uh, I hope it'll work for me and maybe for you. This Purim, uh, a number of uh, friends of ours sent us very generous baskets of Shalach Monas, which, as you can see, are not really necessary. Uh, and in one of the baskets was a very expensive box of chocolates from a European country. But it had on it a rabbinic certification that I felt was questionable. And therefore, I was at a loss. What were, what were we going to do with the box? And then a brilliant idea struck me. Every morning when I walk to shul in the morning to Davin, uh, there's an Arab street cleaner that's always sweeping the street. And I always say uh, good morning to him, and he responds. So over the uh, two and a half years that we've met almost every morning, uh, we've developed a small amount of rapport. So I said, I'm going to give him the box, give him the box of chocolates. And the next morning I set out with the box in my hand, and I pass him, and he says, Boker Tov, and I say, Boker Or, and I say to him, Yeshli Matanabadcha, I have a gift for you, and I give him this expensive box of chocolates. He takes it, he looks at me, he says, what's wrong, the Hersher's no good? So you see the influence that you have on others uh, simply by being there. So tonight, if I may, I'd like to talk to you naturally about Pesach and about the Seder and some insights uh, that we can share regarding this great, really central event of all Jewish life, of all Jewish family life. I saw a secker that in Israel... Uh, over 90% of all Jews have some sort of Seder on Pesach night. It is the uh, strongest thing, uh, in many respects even stronger than Yom Kippurim, simply because of the fact uh, that it unites us as a family, as a people, restores our memory, it gives us a chance to be a Jew even if it is only for one night. The Torah tells us that there are four sons. Keneged Arboa Bonim Dibra Torah, Agoda says. And in the Parsha of the Torah itself, uh, the sons are described for us. 
in the parsha of Voeschanon in the Chumash Dvorim, there appears the wise son, the Chocham. In the parsha of Bo, uh, there appears to us the Rosha, the evil son, and there also appears the Tom, the son that is somehow uh, naive, innocent, simple, close to foolish. And Sheno Yodea Lisho, the son that doesn't know how to ask, so he doesn't appear because he didn't know what to ask. Uh, but he's omnipresent in our lives. He's always here. And in the Hasidic thought, the idea was always proclaimed uh, that it's not necessarily four different sons or four different people, but that within each and every one of us, uh, the four personalities exist. We all know that sometimes we're a chocham, sometimes we're wise, and sometimes we're not. And sometimes we are good, and sometimes we are not. And sometimes we are very naive when we should be clever. And sometimes we're too clever when we should be naive. And there's a piece of us that's Shaina Yodea Lishol, that doesn't know what to ask, or how to ask, or that even you're supposed to ask. I think that's a pretty good description of the Jewish world generally, and of Israeli society particularly, that we're a composite. Uh, the best of Jews has a little of the Ben Rosha in him. And those who think that they're Rishoyim unwittingly also have the Ben Chochem within them as well. The Pesach Seder, in which the Haggadah is repeated over and over and over again, uh, so sometimes it can lose its freshness. It can lose its spontaneity. I had a wonderful uh, fax that was sent to me this week by a student of mine, uh, a former student of my yeshiva in Muncie, who lives now in Seward Park, Washington, in Seattle. He has a big job with Boeing there. Boeing occasionally sells planes to Alal, I think, yeah. So he wrote that a, uh, a reform temple in Oregon uh, conducted a course in comparative religions. So Orthodox Judaism was one of the comparative religions. So they brought uh, 25 or 30 young people together with the teachers of the course uh, to spend the Shabbat in the Orthodox community in Seward Park. And when it was all over, uh, one of the youngsters said, you know, uh, the Orthodox rabbi has such an easy job of it. Our rabbi has to create a new creative service every Sabbath. And you just say the same thing over and over and over again. But in reality, we have to be much more creative because we say the same thing over and over and over again. And part of the creativity is to be able to see ourselves and the changes in ourselves in life and to be able to deal with it. The rabbis define for us Chocham. Who's the Ben Chocham, the wise son? 
the wise son doesn't necessarily need to have a Ph.D. He doesn't necessarily have to have an IQ. It isn't even given over in terms of knowledge, wisdom, or common sense. Ezeu Chacham, the rabbi said. Who is a wise person? The rabbis gave a number of answers. But one answer which really sums up all of the answers is Ezeu Chacham Aroes Anolod. Someone that can see the consequences of one's behavior. What is the future going to look like? Now, the future is always hidden from us. We have no more prophecy, and the future is beclouded, especially in this country. Uh, we have no way of knowing that what we're doing is uh, enormously correct or enormously suicidal. Uh, no one knows. Uh, we go hurtling down the road, uh, but there's no one that can uh, have an inkling even of what the future holds for us. But the idea of Aruis Anolod, therefore, uh, seems to be an impossible task. How am I supposed to be able to see the future, to see the consequences? So how can I be a Chochem? So it's interesting how the rabbis phrased it. They didn't say, Horoe et atid, who sees the future. They said, Horoe sanola, to see what is born. Because when a parent has a child, when a father or mother holds an infant in his or her hands for the first time, so then one already projects the future. What do I want for my child? What type of world? What type of person do I want that he or she should grow up to be? Many times, because we're so busy raising children, we never see a Roes Anolad. And before we know it, they've grown up, and I've never told them what I wanted them to be. I've never shared my dream with them. I never told them who they are. I never told them who their grandparents were or their great-grandparents were. When I was a lawyer in Chicago a long time ago, so there was a judge on the municipal court of Chicago whose name was Iger. Remember Judge Norman Iger. And I had uh, a matter pending in front of him. I represented a client, and I went to court to argue the motion. And then when the motion's uh, part... Uh, were over, he had decided in, my, in our client's favor and everything, and uh, as I was waiting to take the elevator to go down in the courthouse, he came out of his chambers and we got in the same elevator. And he said to me, uh, he said, well, you argued the case very well, counsel, congratulations. So I took heart at that, and I said, Judge Iger, can I ask you something? There was a great rabbi called Rabbi Akiva Eger. Are you descended from him? So he said, you know, my sister told me that there was a great rabbi in our family. He said, but I never checked on it. I said, your honor, if I were you, I would. He was one of the greatest rabbis that existed in all of Jewish history. You could be his descendant. You don't know that. So he said to me abruptly, he said, well, it's not important to me.
and it wasn't. So I am certain that it is less important to his grandchildren or his great-grandchildren because he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he came from. The idea of the Chochem is immediately to build memory in a family. I see the child born in front of my eyes. I hold the child. I still remember uh, when our first uh, baby came home and in a fit of madness, I got up in the middle of the night to help feed her. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that, you know, the first child, uh, okay, so you get up every so often. But the second child is so well trained, I never got up at night. <laughs> never heard him once. But I remember I held her in my hand. She's a grown woman with grown children. But when you hold the future in your hand, so what do you want? And in fact, you'll notice that when the ceremony of a pidgin aben, the redemption of the firstborn occurs in Jewish life, so the Kohen, who is the conduit for the redemption, asks the question, my boyist fay, what do you want? You want the five dollars or do you want the child? So I always thought that that's a pretty silly question. Especially now that the dollar has declined. <laughs> Certainly everybody wants the child. Who's going to sell a child for five silver dollars? But the question has a depth to it. Everything that our rabbis taught us has a depth to it that transcends time and circumstance. What do you want? That's the question for the child. What do you want for this child? How will you feel that the child is a success? That you're a success? That you're vindicated? That you're immortal? My boy is What do you want? And that's a chocham. A chocham is roes anolod. So I don't know whether the child will be wealthy or not so wealthy. I don't even know what kind of education, but I know that he would, that I would like that he or she should remember me, should tell their children about me, that I can live past the grave, and I can only do that if there's some connection to the quality of Torah, because Torah is the only conduit that transcends time and space in all of Jewish history. If the Rambam would walk into this synagogue today, he would recognize us, and we would recognize him. That's the power of Torah. I, uh, without sounding too commercial, I uh, produced a movie about Rashi, which will be shown on Israeli television, and... Uh, it's a live drama animated. It's a beautiful film, if I say so myself. And it cost a lot of money and a lot of pain. I always say to my wife that I don't know yet what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> but right now I'm making movies. <laughs> so I went to a, uh, we uh, went to one of the largest animation studios here in Israel. And Israel is first class, cutting edge, high tech. I mean, Disney buys from this studio. And we developed a whole new software, how to do this. 
And these are all very, very secular Israelis. Who the first time I walked in, you know, here comes a semi-Haredi rabbi with a movie, with Rashi, with this. With, but once the check cleared, then they, uh, <laughs> they somehow developed a relationship with me. And we're very good friends now. We really are. Uh, it's, it's been a great experience for me. Uh, it's given me an opportunity that, that I would not have otherwise have had. I would never have anything to say to them, and they went to me. In the middle of the movie, one of them tells me, he said, you know, I told my brother yesterday uh, that we're making this great film on Rashi, and they're really in it. And to the extent, this as an aside, that one of the illustrators became a Balchuv in the middle of the movie. The movie did it. The movie absolutely did it. I mean, he had it in himself before, but the movie pushed him over the edge. So he said, I spoke to my brother. I told him we're making this movie about Rashi. It's a beautiful movie. And my brother told me, he said, don't you know, we're from Rashi's family. So he came the next day. I came, he said, yeah, I'm from Rashi's family. So they asked me, he said, Madua acharidin enam kemo Rashi. Why don't we behave like Rashi? So I said to him, Tzadakta, you're 100% right. He's your Zayda as much as he's mine. I don't own him. We all have to be Rashi. And he took the movie home and they showed it to their children and they, and they showed it to their friends. So they're not going to put on a Shrimal tomorrow. But you restored the sense of memory to them. Because Jews think that somehow the world began in 1897, or in 1948, or 1967, or 1993. We're an old people. It's 3,313 years from Yitzhak Mitzrayim to this Seder seen everybody come and go. And we're here. Not only here as a people, we're here in our land. The only people in the history of civilization that has ever made a comeback. Nobody else ever came back. Gone is gone. In our past century, every empire that began the century did not conclude it. England, Germany, France, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Russian Empire. Everybody's in the ash heap of history. Except for this unlikely band of people who live in a very bad neighborhood. Can't quite figure out what they're doing there. Atem b'nei Yaakov lo you, the children of Jacob, you have not been extinguished. We just experienced something. I mean, if you go behind the hoopla, you know, the Pope came to the Western Wall and put a note in the stones of the Western Wall. If you would wake up the generations that passed and told them that such a thing could happen, you'd, be, you'd have to go to an insane asylum. How could such a thing happen? He did so, and the Lord created television and CNN. 
and 300 million people saw it, and we don't know what to do with it, right? We absolutely don't know what to do with it. Not the religious, not the, the secular embarrassed that somebody showed up, in, you know, in that funny outfit and says he's a believer and a billion people follow him. It's embarrassing in the, 20, in the end of the 20th century, right? And the religious don't know what to do because, you know, who's the Pope, right? What minion does he belong to? There's a famous uh, ironic joke about the time that the last pope visited Israel and what a difference 36 years is. So in 1964, Pope Paul VI came across the border from Jordan then. So the story is told that there was a picture on the front page of the Israeli newspaper of the pope and two little children of Mayor Shorin saw the picture. And one said to the other, who's that? And everyone said, I don't know. They said, well, he can't be a religious Jew because he's shaven. But he's wearing a kippah. He must be Mizrahi. <laughs> so that's the attitude. The attitude hasn't changed in 36 years. But something happened here. It's a sea change. A whole different world happened here. Ein balanes makir beniso. Someone to whom miracles occur never realizes that it's a miracle. He thinks it's supposed to be that way. That's a roes anolot. To see what we would like to be. Someone should come with a statement Decide once and for all, what would we like to be? What kind of country would like to be? What kind of people we would like to be? What is our purpose, national and personal? To be a chocham. The Novi told us what we're supposed to be. Or lagoyim nesatiha, I've given you to be a light unto the nations. You're supposed to be the example. Atamedai, you're my witnesses, God says. And God also said, I will not take my hand off the scruff of your neck, no matter what you do. You will not escape your destiny. That's a roes anolat. Who's a Russia by us? An evil person. Evil people are not easy to find. All rumors to the contrary notwithstanding. Our century has been replete with a number of them. Our century, which has seen uh, well over 165 million people destroyed by war and by government, by tyrants. Stalin alone is responsible for almost half the total. Hitler, a number of our neighbors here. Tough world. There are plenty of evil people. But yet when we meet people day in and day out in our lives, uh, we don't come across for Shoyim that easily. The rabbis defined Russia from the word chet, sin. The word chet in Hebrew literally means to miss the mark. Hechti et amatara, to miss the target. 
So it's like you shoot an arrow and you missed. The root of evil is that you missed somehow. You did the wrong thing. You didn't realize that that's not the target. You substituted all sorts of things for the real target. Cain, who kills his brother Hevel and gets the world off to a bad start, does so because half the world is not big enough for him, because somebody else is going to have the other half. Well, most of us would today be, settled, be satisfied with half the world, a quarter of the world, you know, a block in downtown Tel Aviv. But to Cain, half the world is not enough. Because once we embark on that program, once we think that that's our target, so we're sorely limited in what we can accomplish. And most of the time we will miss the mark. Our rabbis say, Ein meis A person does not depart this world having half of what he or she wanted to have. And that, that applies to Bill Gates also, not just to Beryl Wine. He doesn't have enough. Somebody else is selling a software program somewhere in the world, and we've got to crush him. It's not enough for me. Homan said, the whole thing, everything that I have, is not, it's not enough because there's one man that doesn't bow to me. You see, I'll go outside and Mordechai Yehud, he's got 16 million people that are bowing and cheering, and there's one little idol that doesn't, so who cares? He destroys himself because of that. That's the Russia. The Russia missed the target. He's aiming for the wrong thing. He's drinking seawater in order to slake his thirst, and he will never be satisfied. The Ben Rosho therefore says, What are you talking to me about? You should give up a day of work? Shabbos? Shabbos, I can relax, I can go to the beach, I can go to the movies, I can keep my store open, I can trade on the internet. What are you telling me here, Shabbos? What are you telling me all the don'ts in life? But it's only the don'ts in life uh, that make the do's uh, somehow satisfying. A world that has no inhibitions is so dysfunctional uh, that it cannot operate. No one is happy. I don't know what the figures are here in Israel. I hope they're less. But in the United States, the figures are that almost 40% of the population takes an antidepressant drug regularly. And probably another 40% should take an antidepressant <laughs> drug. What's everybody so sad about? Everybody's got a home. Everybody's got an automobile. Everybody's stock went up 400% in the last 10 years. So why are we so sad? Why are we depressed? Because we missed the mark. And that's the tragedy of the Russia. The tragedy of the Russia is 
the pursuit of what will not make you happy. The Novyirmio said, Kiosi azavtem, you have forsaken me. Be'er ma'im chaim, the well of everlasting living waters. Lachzov lahem boros nishboros, to dig for themselves wells that will collapse. Asher lo yachilu amoyim, that will never hold water. But the fads that we have lived through in the last 20, 30 years, it's all empty. Russia is empty. And that's really the saddest thing. The Ben Tam is considered to be naive, innocent, a simpleton. So Ben Tam can have also a great IQ and have a wonderful education. What makes him foolish, so to speak? So there's an interesting thing. And if you look in the Parsha of the Ben Tam, so in the Torah it says, Your son will ask you, Tomorrow he'll ask you. So Rashi there comments, There is a tomorrow that is Achshov, like tomorrow is Monday. Right away, tomorrow, we know it's Monday. And there's a mocher shulachers man, there's a long tomorrow. Ten years from now, a hundred years from now. By the Ben Chochem, it also says, V'yoki yishalchem b'neichem mocher leimor. If your sons, your children will ask you tomorrow. So there Rashi in Vashanon and Dvorim Rashi just says there, Yesh Mochor Shehuli Acherzman. There's a long tomorrow. Rashi there does not mention that there's an immediate tomorrow. And if you look in the Parsha of the Ben Rosha, it says, Your children will say to you, What is this service to you? It does not say Mochor. The verse does not include the word mochar. But a rabbi said very succinctly, the Russia doesn't ever look at mochar. He doesn't look at what's tomorrow. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So it's now. Whatever satisfies me now. Whatever I want now. There's no mochar. The chochom not only says mochar, but his definition of mochor is yesh mochor shel zman, the long tomorrow. What it'll look like a hundred years from now, not just tomorrow, tomorrow. What will my grandchildren think of me? That's an important question when you reach my age. I'll tell you the absolute truth that since I became a grandfather, I have begun to behave myself. I want my grandchildren to have a high opinion of me. I want the long tomorrow. The Tom, the simpleton, is the one that makes a mistake and says he can have both. I can have now, 
And I can have Yeshmochr Shulachr Zman. I can have the long tomorrow also. That's the root of foolishness. The root of foolishness is that we think that there are no choices. You can have everything. You can be everybody. The Haskalah in the 19th century said, as their slogan, that a person should be a Jew in one's home and a man of the world in the street. And it ended up that they were neither. The street sent them to Auschwitz. And in the home, they raised grandchildren that were no longer Jewish. There are choices. can't be everywhere. And you can't be everybody. And the Jewish people always realize that. They always realize that being a Jew places limitations upon us. Limitations of speech and of dress, of behavior, of values, of attitudes. Long ago, there were Jews that came to the prophet Yechezkel, and they said to him, We're going to be just like everybody else. We're going to be Germans of the Mosaic persuasion. And the God told the Novi, Ko amar Hashem Tzvokos. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Tell them to forget it. It won't be. It won't happen. If they don't believe me, I'll show them. The rabbis say that by Homan, Gedola Hasoras HaTabas, when the king Ahasuerus took off his signet ring and gave it to Haman that did more for Judaism than all of the 24 prophets and their sermons and their speeches ever did. Because then all of a sudden the Jews got it. At least for a little time. Can't be everybody. Israel is not America. Even if it could be, it shouldn't be. We are here for a different purpose. And the Tom doesn't realize it. And that's what makes him the simpleton. He thinks that life is without choices. That there's no sacrifice. No demands. It's a feel-good religion. Make it up as you go along. Whatever you want is fine. You like this wedding ceremony? Fine. You don't like it? Okay, good. We'll make it up. Anything that fits you. But what about your grandchildren? And they'll want to get married Jewish. God forbid they can become a Balchuva. What happens then? How does it look then? Got a reform and conservative mounted a campaign here in Israel on the radio and on television and, and the newspapers uh, for alternative marriage. You don't have to go to the rabbinate. You don't have to get interviewed by the Rebetzin. You don't have to go to the mikveh. You don't have to do anything. Just come. Whatever ksuba you want, we'll write it for you. The woman will marry the man with no problems. But they have the goal to say that it is a chatuna hilchatit kedat Moshe Yisrael. So the Israeli government took the ad off the radio for false advertising. You can get married any way you want, but don't say it's kedat Moshe Yisrael. Don't say it's Hilchatit. You should know what the consequences are. And there are always our consequences. 
He doesn't know what to ask. One of the great tragedies that I feel, and I say it openly, uh, within the Orthodox camp, is that we have raised a generation that doesn't know how to ask. Questions are not allowed. But there are questions. But questions are never discussed. And because they're never discussed, when the realities of life contradict uh, what the teacher told us, uh, so then our faith is sorely tested. And then for the first time we're brought face to face with the questions that we should have asked in first and second grade. You cannot raise a generation that's that has no training in asking. Because if you don't ask, there are no answers. And eventually life will ask the questions. Faith, my friends, always presupposes doubt. There is no doubt and there's no room for faith. What does it mean to believe? The entire structure of Torah Shabal Peh and the Talmud and throughout all rabbinic literature is questions and answers. The Talmud poses a thesis, a question is asked, a contradiction from a different place, an answer is given, and then a question is asked on the answer, and then a second answer is given. Sometimes the Talmud can go two or three pages in this discussion, and sometimes the final conclusion of the Talmud is, I don't know. Sometimes the Talmud ends, Kasha, yeah, it's a good question. So I remember that when I was... Uh, very young and the first being introduced to the uh, beauty of the intricacy of Talmudic thought and the really inspiring ways that the Torah looks at things, it holds it up and looks at it from 70 different angles. So we came, uh, then uh, I used to study with my father, we should live and be well, so we used to study every day for a few hours. I went to public school in Chicago, then after school I'd come home, and my father and I would learn for a few hours. So since uh, my father was not an educator, so he didn't know anything about curriculum or lesson plans, etc. So we just kept on learning, right? <laughs> so I remember that we came to this complicated Indian. I remember exactly where it was in Baba Kama. And it went for like two and a half pages. And at the end, the Gemara said, Kasha, we're stuck. And then the Gemara changed the subject. So I said to him, Daddy, why do we waste two and a half pages here? Right? We didn't answer it. So he told me in the great wisdom of the Eastern European Jew, he said, Nobody ever died because of a question. You should know that there are questions, right? And the other great aphorism in Yiddish was that a good question is half an answer. So the Talmud can remain with a question. And you don't think that the great men of the Talmud, what did Rabbi Akiva say when they were torturing him to death? Rabbi Chaninya ben Trajan, when they wrapped him in a Sefer Torah and burned him alive. There are questions. The Holocaust is a question. No question, it's a question. And anyone that tries to answer it with a slogan, with a simplistic answer, or we don't teach it even, lest there be a question. 
So that's Shani Odei Alisha. We should ask a question. The state, what is it? What are we doing here? I never hear that question asked. I don't hear it asked in the schools. I don't hear it asked in the body politic. I don't read it in the newspapers. And because the question is never asked, it nags at us. Because deep inside of us, that's the question that bothers us. And if it never reaches expression, if it never has an opportunity somehow to come to the fore, then the question can be terribly, terribly corrosive to our faith and to our national being. If we would have asked the question, uh, then we would understand many things that go on today, but but otherwise it's all not understandable. I don't mean to be political here, but we should ask the question, what is the peace process? What do we want from it? It's never asked. The only thing it's asked is, you know, uh, where to border, what this, what that. That's not the question. If we ask the right question, all of that is immaterial. And it's reflected in a hundred other avenues in our daily life. So there the, the Balagoda says, At Psachlo. Now we have to open that question up. We have to open the mouth. We have to legitimatize questions so that we can come to answers. Or we can come to say that we don't know the answer. The Rajbo, the great Rabbeinu Shlomo ben Aderet, in 14th century Barcelona, wrote in one of his responsa, Tachlis Hayadiya, the purpose of knowledge, Leda is to know, Sheino Yadea, that you don't know. By us, everybody knows. Everybody's an expert. I don't know is also a very satisfactory answer. And that's the Atpsachlo. To open the debate. To allow the expression of doubts which lead to faith and which are not intimidating and don't have the feeling of coerciveness and are not simplistic in their worldview. So at the Seder, we're all together. The Chochem and the Rosha, the Tam, the Sheni Odei Elishal. Because throughout Jewish history, we're always all together. Torah made us a promise. Rav Shlom Bonoyach. Al-Tikra Bonoyach al-Bonoyach. There'll come a day that there will be peace. Peace between ourselves. Peace with the outside world, with our neighbors, both near and far. Peace with our friends as well as with our enemies. But in order for that to come, the Pesach says, V'chol Bonoyach limude Hashem. All of you have to be learned in the ways of God. All of you have to have an attachment to him. The rabbis say that at the end of the Gemara Chagiga, that the Rabboni Shalom, in the world to come, there is a circle that the righteous dance, so to speak, around God. And the righteous point and say, Ze Hashem Elokeinu Kivinu 
This is the God that I hoped for. So the Mephoshim explain why the circle. Because if you're in a circle, everyone sees it from a different angle. Ze Hashem Kivinulo. I see it from my vantage point. You see it from your vantage point. But together we are the circle around the Rabboni Shalom. Together we're the Pesach Seder. We're the great table. The table that stands in front of God. So as we sit down this year to the Pesach Seder, we should examine ourselves. We should try and make the Chochem more prominent and to diminish the Russia. To make the Tom wiser and able to make the hard choices in life. And the Sheni Yodea Lishol to be able to ask. And if we're able to do so, so then we'll be Zochet to the blessings of the Seder. We'll be Zochet to see the fulfillment which is at the end of the Seder. The Shona Habo Yerushalayim Habnuya. The best of everything. Thank you for coming. This concludes this lecture by Rabbi Beryl Wine. For information, please contact the Destiny Foundation at 1-800-499-WINE. That's 1-800-499-9346 or at our 24-hour fax, 845-368-1528. We can also be reached by email at info at jewishdestiny.com and you can shop online at www.rabbiwine.com. Due to copyright laws, we kindly request that there be no duplication of this lecture except through the Destiny Foundation.